Hello and welcome to How to Read the Bible on the One Prez Pod. Over these next few weeks, my good friend Sarah Putman and I will be talking about reading the Bible as literature. We'll be looking at different literary genres, we'll be talking about translation, and we'll be giving you a glimpse into the history of Scripture and helping you to become a better reader. Join us. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to week two of How to Read the Bible. It's so good to be back with you on our podcast. It's me, Phil Blackburn, joined by Sarah Putman. Woo woo! We are back. And we are going to follow up on our conversation from last week where we kind of laid out some parameters. I talked a little bit about theology, Sarah talked a little bit about literature. And uh, we talked a little bit about our own faith experiences. So now we're going to get into the weeds. Are you excited about the weeds, Sarah? I am. There's a lot of weeds in front of me right now. So we'll see what happens. We have a lot of weeds. (laughs) And just so you know, dear listener, we have pulled many weeds for you. So the remaining weeds are just a small sample Mm -hmm. of what there could be. Because we're going to talk about translation this week. How many foreign languages are you proficient in, Sarah? I'm going to go with zero. Yeah, I'm at a big zero as well. Yeah. Like, I have a small amount of knowledge of many languages over the course of my career, but I don't have a functional knowledge of any of them. Right. Which actually makes it worse. Like, I feel like that's worse. Well, that's a whole other, you know, podcast talking about foreign language education in (laughs) in this country. But, um but yeah, you're right. I mean, I took Spanish mm-hmm. in high school, a little mm-hmm. bit in college, mm-hmm. but none of it was really, um, like, I didn't have to. Yeah. And, and I wish I would have had to. Yes. Yes. I agree. I wish I knew it better. And the since I know a little bit, all that does is make me feel like I know less mm-hmm. than if I knew none at all. Right. Ignorance is bliss. That's right. <laughs> So, listen, everybody, if you're very happy with your ignorance, just turn off the podcast right now and stop listening. Uh, So we're going to try and and we're going to assume, and I think this is fairly safe, that most of the people listening to this don't know how to read biblical Hebrew or Greek. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I had to learn it in seminary Mm -hmm. so I can work with tools, Mm -hmm. but I certainly couldn't pick it up and sight read it. Sure. Uh, I can transliterate both, so if you show me the characters, I can put them into the English sounds. Oh, that's great. But I can't tell you what they mean. Oh, okay. Well, that's so that's not, not as great. great. It's not as great. But it sounds cool, right? It like does. transliterate is so close to translate. Mm-hmm. So close. So close. And yet just so far. No, just can't comprehend it. Just don't know what it means. So <laughs> there we go. So right. I never thought this is what I mean by it makes the things worse. Because mm-hmm. like before I knew any other languages, I thought translation was just really straightforward. Right. I thought you Here's look, the word. This is what it means. Right. We means we. Mm-hmm. Water means water. Uh, building means building. Just put mm-hmm. it into the English and right. let me move along. I do not believe this is how it actually works, though. I don't think so either, especially if we're looking at ancient texts where that language has evolved tremendously right. since, you know, the original that we're looking <laughs> right. at. Right. <laughs> um, so there's that. But... Um, Absolutely. And I think even in the the modern publishing world, Mm -hmm. when you look at the way works from China or Sweden, we all love Frederick Bachman, Mm -hmm. right? How all that stuff is translated. It's not like the author and a translator working together Mm -hmm. in a room. It's a group of editors who Mm -hmm. speak the language, hopefully, um, translating that work. So there's a lot of... um, 
I don't know, I think thought going into it as to what they're going to be true to. Yes. Yeah, I can, yeah. And in the literary world, they mm-hmm. got to sell books. Right. So we so, want to make sure the audience mm-hmm. can, you know, yep. be immersed in that text and not be like, it's not choppy and not awkward. Mm-hmm. Um that kind of stuff. And so I, and I think that's really interesting. And I think as we you know, sort of talk about translation, um, I think that kind of interpretive recreation is important too, especially if we're looking at really old texts. And that might be Say a, what you mean by interpretive recreation. Well, I think, I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Odyssey here, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really old. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2018, there was um, a new translation by Emily Wilson, Emily Wilson, um, where some of those characters are not really reimagined, but sort of recreated, mm-hmm. where they have a bit more agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in terms of, you know, anything old that's kind of been made new again, you try to recreate it to fit the needs of the modern audience, mm-hmm. the modern mm-hmm. culture. Yep. Now, I think the cool thing about the Odyssey, and I'm a big fan of the Odyssey, is that there's a lot... Um, that we can take from it mm-hmm. even today. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the themes that you see and um, the way that sort of characters react to situations and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff is still relevant, and that's why we're still talking about it. That's mm-hmm. what makes a classic a classic. Um, but, I mean, there are certain certainly problematic things about the Odyssey, too. Well, what, you know, join the club on that one. Right. I mean, anything that's more than, like, 10 years old probably has right. some issues in it. Sure. The But your enjoyment of the Odyssey mm-hmm. and your appreciate, uh, let me see if I Yes, <laughs> I speak English. Your appreciation of the Odyssey. I just translated that for you. I appreciate it. And mm-hmm. it helped everybody who's listening, right. I think. But it's not hindered by the fact that you don't read the Greek. Like, you can still appreciate the... Right. You can still appreciate it. And it's because of the work mm-hmm. of translators. Yeah. So even though you know you're reading a translated work, mm-hmm. it's not a barrier to you as somebody who wants to learn from the mm-hmm. Odyssey or appreciate the beauty of the Odyssey mm-hmm. or be moved by the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's because, yeah, I couldn't read the original. Right. It would be completely inaccessible. Mm-hmm. So while we, we're going to get into this, I think, and we're going to acknowledge some of the problems of translation, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to lose the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the wrestling with those problems is, I think, what makes really good translators good. Good translators, yeah. Is that they actually don't do what I was describing and say, man walked into building, mm-hmm. right? They'll do a much better mm-hmm. job of it than that. Yeah, because they are authors in mm-hmm. a sense as well. Mm-hmm. Most of them are poets as well. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're they understand the craft mm-hmm. and they understand, you know, the initial goal. Mm-hmm. Well walk us through, you've brought some samples and also some thoughts about uh, the task of translation. So set us up a little bit here before we go diving into scripture with some literature perspective literary perspectives on translation, specifically around the Odyssey. Okay. Well um, I actually started kind of looking at Beowulf and then I got really in the weeds and thought I need to. <laughs> um, so yeah. I switched over to the Odyssey. Um, but I, I just grabbed a few different, um, one, two, three, four different versions of the opening lines of the Odyssey. And you kind of see, I feel like, as you go, um, you know, I started with Fitzgerald's in 1961, which is the one that I taught mm-hmm. um, my ninth graders. Um 
And then I went through 2018 to Emily mm-hmm. Wilson. And, and I think you can kind of see the difference where, you know, the focus was an accurate representation of the language versus that interpretive recreation. Mm-hmm. You kind of see, well, we're going to sort of get away from making sure that our lines are exactly the same as Homer's mm-hmm. and just try to get the gist mm-hmm. um, or the, not the gist, the, the think- essence of the yeah, text. the word I was thinking was like evocative. Right. Yeah. Is yeah, that like I think so? Trying to evoke a, a, a mm-hmm. an idea rather than literally rigidly convey it. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and for a lot of reasons, you know, because the those um, sentiments aren't really things that we think about anymore, mm-hmm. or um, it's sort of a silly way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ultimately, especially if you're going to use this in a classroom, you want it to engage young readers, and so you want it to be. Right. Easier for them to understand as well. Um, you've cut your nose off to spite your face mm-hmm. if you've made it inaccessible to ninth graders. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sure. Well, if you're going to try to teach it. Yeah. Well, and I think Emily Wilson's, mm-hmm. you know, again, is the, the most mm-hmm. recent translation. Mm-hmm. She's already all over the, mm-hmm. the curriculum. But Well, do you want to read any of these to folks, or should we put them up where they can look at them themselves? I don't know. What do you think? Want me to read a few just so they can hear it? Yeah. Why don't? Yeah. Read maybe the the nineteen sixty one Fitzgerald mm-hmm. and and uh, cross that with the Wilson. Okay. Maybe. All right. So yeah, Fitzgerald nineteen sixty one. Sing in me muse and through me tell the story of that man skilled in all ways of contending, the wanderer harried for years on end after he plundered the stronghold on the proud height of Troy, and that's where that ends. Then you'll see it if we put it up, but there is a line break, and he mm-hmm. like starts um, this next line halfway through. Um, and so Emily Wilson's 2018, tell me about a complicated man. Muse, tell me how he wandered and was lost when he had wrecked the holy town of Troy. Yeah. The complicated man bit is nice, isn't it? I like, know. it just tells you right off. There's so much going on there. Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, if you know the Odyssey, you understand just how complicated Odysseus was in, in right. so many different ways. Right. And, and what in the heck does skilled in all ways contending? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Skilled in all ways of contending, right. yes. Yeah, I mean, that's harder, much more difficult mm-hmm. to access. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm partial to Emily Wilson, too, also because she's, like, the first woman to translate yeah. the Odyssey. Um, so I think that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just... I I love looking at this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's similar to, and maybe not, and you can stop me if I'm getting crazy here, um, watching a film after reading the book. Mm-hmm. Like the adaptation of film. Um, you have a different type of audience, and you have to sort of, I don't know, capture the essence mm-hmm. of the text mm-hmm. in a different medium. Yeah, no, it, yes. And you have to make a lot of decisions about, am I going to keep this mm-hmm. in? How am I going to film something? Am I going to consolidate these characters? Am I going to take yep. out this dialogue? You know, all what that do you do with an inner monologue? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big one in sure. a lot of literature, trying to adapt yeah. an inner monologue. So Should you just like... a voiceover? Or right. are, they gonna, are they good face actors? Right, tell the actor to look vexed. <laughs> right. um, you know, it, it is it is a question. I was thinking, too, along the lines of film, as you brought that up, mm-hmm. about when I watch a foreign language film, which isn't all that often. I don't want to sound more pretentious <laughs> than I am already. Uh, the when I watch a foreign language film, I prefer subtitles. Mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like Netflix gives you that option usually of you can listen to the dubbing or the yeah. subtitles. But I like to hear the tone of the actor's voice sure, in yeah. the original language, mm-hmm. 
uh, and then read along rather than because I feel like it loses something mm-hmm. when you're getting a different human's voice laid over. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these ways of trying to bridge through bridge ideas, art, concepts through multiple languages mm-hmm. is across all mediums of art, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think back to circling back to not knowing it's even a translated work, mm-hmm. that's the work of a really good translator. Yes. Um, and there are so many times, you know, at the bookstore, people pull a book off the shelf and love it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been translated. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not the author had any say in it or not, right. Right. I mean, it's selling books and, and people are still immersed in that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I do want to say one other thing before, because I thought this was interesting. I started following Emily Wilson on Twitter. Yeah. And she also, I don't know if she's defending her translation. Um, but she's out there a lot sort of mm-hmm. talking about it. And there was a quote from Horace that she had tweeted. And it's from his Art of Poetry. And he says, Just as the forests change when seasons slant and first leaves fall, so too in their old age words die. And those newborn begin to flower as strong as human beings in their youth. We and our property belong to death. So she goes on to talk about even the Greeks mm-hmm. knew that language was going to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. And they had so many versions of those myths, mm-hmm. right? And, and it wasn't like that one's the original and that one's the love. They were just all telling their mm-hmm. their own stories. And, and I thought, you know, we can learn so much from them. Yeah, you don't have to hold things so rigidly. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, things are going to change and uh-huh. we'll make something new. Yep. And we don't think about that with language. But all you have to do, like... When I remember watching Ken Burns's Civil War, yeah, and the way he they would read letters mm-hmm. in that, and oh the way goodness, they yes. wrote, if I tried to write like that now, first I couldn't, mm-hmm. and second I would be unintelligible, right, to almost anybody. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. would think, why are you using all of those words? Sure, yeah, and I. I you know, I just read a book by M.R. Tolles, The Lincoln mm-hmm. Highway, and mm-hmm. it's set in the 50s. And the way those characters talk to each other, I was like, that, there is no way that this guy from Nebraska ha- spoke like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he probably did. Yeah. I mean, we, we speak a lot differently than, than we used to. Yes. And we'll continue. Language mm-hmm. will evolve. And so those are things not that, like the 50s, even the 1860s, yeah. in the scheme of human civilization are mm-hmm. not that long. Ago. No, absolutely not. But there's already been an incredible evolution in language, mm-hmm. even tone of voice, all those things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk, let's shift into scripture now. Yeah. So last week we talked about um, understanding the Bible as being unique and authoritative. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? And then keep in mind the fact that we're holding a translated work. Like we have just discussed the issues with translation. Mm-hmm. And so what you're holding uh, when you pick up your Bible is you are holding either a committee's uh, translation or an individual's. Mm-hmm. One of those two. And you are holding a whole bunch of editorial decisions they have made around language. And they are as diverse in their options for translation as the the Odyssey translations that you read for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you, you read, you know that going in, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of people who think that the King James Version was, was it. Version? <laughs> yes, that the, the King James Version written in 1611 was the actual true version of the Bible. Okay. Uh, there isn't one of those. There's, there's not a single, just for context, there's not a single book in the Bible that we have the original copy of. Right. Not even Paul's letters. 
Hmm. So uh, we don't have any of the originals. What we have are multiple uh, copies of most of the works. Some of them are pretty old. Um, some of them aren't. Like some of them are the oldest is about 150 years after it was likely written. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a complicated thing putting together the Bible. And this might sound like a stupid question. I'm sorry. The only stupid question <laughs> is the one you don't ask. Well, I mean, I know that there's Paul's letters and yes. all that, but is a lot of the Bible like orally passed down as well? Certainly uh, the Gospels. Because mm -hmm. um, it's the same yep. story, mm -hmm. right? By and large, but like, so... Yeah, I mean, why not? We're talking about translation. There's, you guys can skip through this if you want to. So what, what people think mm -hmm. is that immediately after Jesus died, nobody wrote anything down because they think they thought he was coming right back. Oh, gotcha. um, then, as it became apparent that he wasn't coming right back, they thought we should probably write down some stories. So they wrote down some stories in what is a hypothesized piece of source material that has been shortened to the letter Q from a very long German name. Mm. So the document Q was a book of sayings and stories without a cohesive narrative structure that New Testament scholars think existed in the early church. Okay. Then as communities began to really and truly form around 80 AD, the Gospel of Mark was written down. Mm -hmm. It's seen as the oldest gospel. Matthew and Luke are seen as being derivative of Mark. And then John's just its own thing. <laughs> and it's probably the newest of the four Gospels. Okay. Um, but it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because they kind of have the same synopsis. Mm -hmm. So they kind of really are going to hit a lot of the same notes, even with some different uh, okay. underlying structure. But John's on its own. But these so, are folks just going in and just, we better write these stories. We better write these down. Yeah. So, and then they attributed those to the communities of uh, disciples who likely founded them or who gotcha. they, to whom they were more beholden. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of how they developed over time. Um, they had different uh, biases, different uh, emphases. Luke is much more concerned with the poor, for mm -hmm. example, than any of the other Gospels are. So all this is going on, right? Like Jesus, like people may have been writing stuff down as he did it, um, but nobody thought to sit down and try and write a real narrative mm -hmm. about his life until he had been gone for some time. This is the hypothesis. There's no way to prove it. We don't have Q. Yeah. We don't have it. But it's the most logical uh, conclusion as to why you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke and why you have these shared stories and shared images and then they moved those around based mm -hmm. on their narrative arc. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting idea and something interesting to play with. Again, as a person of faith, this doesn't bother me mm -hmm. at all. Like To me, that's just history and that's the development of that's a text within a faith community. Mm -hmm. And also, I believe in the Holy Spirit so I figure that what we have is what we're supposed to have. It's mm -hmm. just generally how I work with it. Um, so that kind of gets us started with the New Testament. The Old Testament, those are those are around the campfire stories that somebody eventually wrote down. Right. A lot of them. Okay. A lot. Especially things like Genesis, uh, the David story. Um, those are things that were told, handed down, uh, the Exodus mm -hmm. uh, for generations before somebody was like, we should write these down. Yeah. And then they were messed with over time 
added to, subtracted from. Um, if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, I know you have, uh, but if listeners have ever heard of them, the reason they're so important is because they gave an almost complete, the oldest complete copy of Isaiah. Oh. Uh, so that way we could figure out which of the ones we'd been using was the most right based on <laughs> on that. So they changed. Fair. Yeah. It, Did we do okay? Uh, yeah, I don't remember which oh, okay. translation was. The, actually, I do, but we don't need to get okay, into that. Okay, sorry. Um, but that's deep weeds, Sarah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no. It's, I mean, all this stuff is interesting to me. Yeah. So because we're part of a continuity, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're part of this arc of history when we hold Scripture or when we hold the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. We're engaging in something uh, with people long gone right. uh, and entering into their worldview and their language, mm-hmm. even as being put in our own words. It's so cool. It's cool. It's great. It's humanity. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're, that's inspiring to me. For sure. You know, and the thing I always remind people when they pick up a Bible is, you know, our forebears way, way back. I mean, they died so we would have that book. When mm-hmm. the Romans persecuted Christians, they wanted the books. Yeah. And so the Christians were like, no. I'm not going to give you the books. And so they were killed. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have Paul's letters. And it's why we have the Gospels. It's why we have the book of Revelation. It's why we have the New Testament that we're able to hold. You think of what Jewish people had to go through over the centuries as well to preserve their texts. Uh, you know, that to me conveys a great amount of value mm-hmm. on those as a person of faith. Yep. So, you know, this gets into that unique idea, right? Like it's sure. u- these things are unique. The fact that they've survived and made them to us, uh, but certainly scripture's unique and, and the authoritative bit is tricky. I want to talk about that as we get into the translation. So I'm going to uh, look at Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and there's three translations here. One is from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. It's from a committee. That's If you come to our church, the First Presbyterian, that's your pew Bible, is the NRSV. A lot of churches use the NIV, the New International Version. They're very similar um, and both very good uh, from my perspective. Um, so there's the NRSV. Then there's the second, which is a, a Bible called The Message, which was translated by one guy, Eugene Peterson, um, for his Sunday school classes in a church in Baltimore. Eugene Peterson is, by the by, a Presbyterian, so excited for him. And then uh, the third thing that I'm going to read is from a woman named Sarah Rudin, who's a classicist at Brown, and Rudin is a Quaker, Um, but she is much more familiar with uh, ancient Greek um, as it relates to uh, mythological uh, use and also uh, plays. Uh, dramas. Uh, so she brings a broader knowledge of the contemporary Greek, which is called Koine Greek, than a lot of Bible translators do. Yeah. So Rudin's going to be very familiar with the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So I want to uh, just kind of, I'm not going to read the NRSV. I'm going to assume you guys have that. That's going to be your most kind of boilerplate uh, translation. It'll all sound very familiar. I want to read the the Peterson and the Rudin, though. Um so I'll read Peterson. Sarah, you want to read the other Sarah when we get sure. to her? Okay, so this is Peterson, and this should sound different. First this, God created the heavens and earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light, and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning. Day one. What do you think of that? 
kind of love it. Do you? Well, I mean, it's just like, here it is. Yeah. And like, we we know what all those words mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no, those are easy to access, right? Sure. Um, I love the punctuation, too. You know, there's lots of colons mm-hmm. um, and the exclamation points. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah, he helps you kind of punch stuff. God spoke light. Light. Emphatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's fun. So that's a paraphrase. Peterson's not going for literal. Uh, so he's trying to, back to being evocative mm-hmm. or what the other words that we, what was the word you used for well, the... Like the essence or... Essence, yeah. He's going for the essence of the text, mm-hmm. right? Um, okay, so this is the Rudin. Take okay. it away. It was God who inaugurated the heavens above and the earth below. The earth at that time was suffused with confusion as bad as a void, and darkness loomed over the abyss, but the will of the living God came to brood over that helpless water. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. And God said, Let light come into being, and light came into being. And God saw, God saw the light and how beautiful it was, and he separated light and darkness. And God named the light day and the darkness night, and evening arose, and morning arose, and this was the first day. Did I say suffused right? Yeah, I think so. You're the you're the English person. Well, I mean, that's how I would say it. Yeah. I'm making sure. I trust you. Okay. <laughs> I think if you just say it with conviction, then no matter how you say it, it's right. Okay. Um, those are quite different. Yeah. Um, and so Rudin's, I think, is much more artistic. You can tell Rudin is used to translating art, mm-hmm. I think, and you can tell Peterson is used to teaching a Sunday school class. Because Peterson is trying to think, how can I write this in a way that's going to help people understand what's happening? Mm-hmm. And Rudin, it feels like, is writing it in a way to acknowledge the beauty of the work and to draw you into the artistic spirit of Genesis. Well, and there's almost like emotion being evoked here. Like, um, I mean, I don't know, just the thought of the living God brooding over the helpless water. Mm -hmm. Like that's not an image you you feel or see all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah, like, yes, the, the water is, yeah, it's helpless in the face of God. You know, you don't think of that at all. Uh, So one of the things Rudin points out, and she hasn't translated all of Genesis, she has a book about translation. We talked about this before we started, is when uh, the earth was, so uh, in the NRSV they translated, the earth was a formless void. Mm -hmm. Darkness covered the face of the deep. So that is the Hebrew words tohu bohu. Uh, go together, tohu bohu. Mm -hmm. And Rudin writes that those words are like herky-jerky or Mm helter-skelter. It's an idiom uh, there, and they carried a lot of freight. And so trying to, so what Rudin's trying to do is broaden out the translation of those two words rather than narrow them down. Mm -hmm. She has a hypothesis that for the ancients, when a word had multiple meanings, they wanted all of those meanings to come into play mm-hmm. in their minds, rather than kind of our modern view of like, if, if we think of a word, uh, trying to narrow it down to the most clear and concise yeah. application. We like to narrow down and be as exact as possible. Right. Her thinking is for the ancients, they wanted to broaden out, which is why she makes the water there helpless, mm-hmm. right? So that is broadening out some of the meanings of tohu bohu 
without, again, going too deep into the words. But it's a, it's a fascinating idea about the ways in which we would engage the language versus those who read it before. There's a passage in John, which is quite well known, um, where Jesus is visiting Nicodemus and Jesus uh, says to Nicodemus, uh, you have to be born again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are familiar with this. The word again there means again or it means from above. Mm -hmm. It means both. It's clearly intended to evoke both. The best translation is probably you need to be born again from above. The NRSV trans translates it as being born from above. The NIV makes the choice of saying being born again. But for the ancients, Rudin would say, they heard both. Mm -hmm. And they would have played with both in their minds as they engaged that. So it's a fascinating idea about language itself that we could have a whole separate podcast, Sarah, well, yeah. where we start a new podcast talking about words. Well, and that's like the polytropos that I talked mm -hmm. about in the Odyssey, where Wilson chooses complicated and some of the other translators use twists and turns, mm -hmm. contending, driven, um, because she's trying to, to, I mean, that means a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's the same idea. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, so when you're holding the Bible, yeah. you're holding an incredibly rich document. Mm -hmm. And you're holding a document that still has mystery attached to it. And maybe we're thinking about it the wrong way if we're really worried about getting super specific. It may be that the ambiguity in the text is one of the things that gives us rich, gives it its richness mm -hmm. rather than trying to artificially narrow something that hadn't been intended to be narrowed. If you're just reading the Bible spiritually, like if you're just reading it devotionally, this is a great mindset I think to have mm -hmm. is that this is, I think, in some ways, you know, people will say, well, I read this passage when I was 20 and then I read it again at 40 and it meant something completely different to me. Of course, that's your life experience, but it's also the way you engage with the language, mm -hmm. right? As you age and as those words take on new meanings in your life, then that changes how you interact with them. So that's that richness. That's that mm -hmm. breadth and allowing the text to breathe a little bit as opposed to trying to constrict it as much as possible. You're holding a translation, but you don't need to be scared of the translation right. and you shouldn't be intimidated by it. Uh, you're joining a conversation much more than trying to get that brick mm -hmm. under control, which I think is something we're tempted to do with scripture, right? Well, I mean, it goes back to that rule book yeah. upbringing that so mm -hmm. many of us have had. Mm -hmm. um, if it's the end-all be-all, mm -hmm. it's hard to accept the fact that there's a lot of different versions mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the thing I always think about, like, We've mentioned the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. If God were so worried about us having precision, there'd be one. Right. But we have four. Hmm. Why do we have four? Because almost all of us who read it a lot have a favorite Gospel. And Jesus is a little different, or a lot different if you're reading John, mm -hmm. but a little different in all those Gospels. Mm -hmm. You're engaging with a different Jesus. Oh, that's um, cool. Doesn't mean he's different, yeah. but it, you're engaging with a different Jesus, and mm -hmm. it broadens him out. It actually plays up the language issue by having different gospels. Yeah, multiple gospels. That's really interesting. I mean, I well, I think about in um, sort of the evolution of literature how heroes have even evolved. Mm -hmm. 
um, and how, you know, with, with Beowulf, he was the quintessential hero. He was strong. He was mm-hmm. courageous. He could fight anything. Mm-hmm. And then he died and, you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, when we look at our modern hero, or even Odysseus, you know, was all of these great things. He was certainly flawed. Um, but, like, if we look at, like, Spider-Man yeah. or, like, our modern, like, comic heroes or superheroes, how... I don't know how nuanced they are. Mm-hmm. Like we've we've evolved, and we want people to that mm-hmm. we can connect to and relate yes. to, and not be Beowulf like. Yeah, it's the it's the trouble with like Superman being always so good, mm-hmm. right? Like he's always the moral right. uh, actor in mm-hmm. every situation. You're like, but I want some gray. Mm-hmm. I want some ambiguity. Surely yeah. he has to get mad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, that kind of the change in the hero's journey over time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, anyway. you know, we're not, we have all these things that were the same as those who came before us, but then, of course, we're quite different. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, I think to wrap it up about scripture, I would say it's helpful. The reason it's notable, first of all, just as a person with a brain, you need to acknowledge it's a translated work Mm -hmm. and what you're reading is someone's translation and they've made decisions. But more importantly, I think it's important, even if you're reading alone, you're still reading with. Mm -hmm. You're reading with the people that witnessed what happened, that told the stories about what happened, that wrote down what happened, that edited what happened, that saved what happened, that carried what happened through each subsequent generation and brought it to you. And you're reading with their words, but also the words that have been translated with, you're reading, of course, also we believe as Christians with the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's the unique bit. Um, So that you're reading with, Mm -hmm. like you're not alone, even if you're by yourself in a room with the book. And I guess the Odyssey would be similar. I mean, in any text, you're not really reading alone. At the very least, you're reading with the author and the editor. Uh, Right. Well, and that's that whole relationship thing that we sort of touched on in in class last week. The importance of that. But, yeah. Great. I don't know. All right. Well, hopefully... uh, Hopefully you got something out of it, folks, and we didn't get too (laughs) deep in the weeds for you. Uh, Next week, we're going to move on to genres which will be very exciting. We're going to take two genres next week. I can't remember which ones we're doing. So it'll just be a surprise to both of us. We'll figure it out. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of How to Read the Bible on the One Prez Pod. Be sure to like and review this wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.